Well, happy Easter 2011. It's really good to have you here. My name is Joe Hishma. I'm one of the pastors here. And this whole weekend, we are sharing this incredible story of God and his love for you. And um, we're pretty passionate about this story. This is a story that includes everyone who's living and everyone who's ever lived. This is a huge story. And we're sharing it because of this reason. We believe the world has lost its story. Instead of... Uh, Jumping into God's story, we've kind of become our own little authors of our own little novels and we've lived our own little lives and we've been self-ruled and, and we've, we've written a story apart from him. And I want to just kind of reconnect you. I want to call you. I want to engage you with this story because we think this is the key story of which all stories come from, of which our life can begin again with. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to share that story with you. We're going to be visual with you. Uh, we're going to, some of you are visual learners, I'm a visual teacher, so we're actually going to put up on these walls different icons of what this story is, just to remind you of this story, as we make the progression of what, what does it mean about the cross, and what does it mean about the Easter message, the resurrected Christ. And so we want to do that. We're also going to give you the shouts of scripture, um, and, and, and kind of go through everything that the Bible's about. If the Bible would be boiled down to the story, you're going to hear it in this time that we have, and you're going to be invited into it. And, and once you know the story, you can kind of make sense of what the rest of the Bible is about, the whispers of Scripture, because the shouts are the key things, and we want to know the key story. And the story begins in the beginning, just like the Bible does in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. In heaven, the angels say to God, this is what they say in Revelation 4.11. They say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by, their, by your will, they were created, and they have their beings. You know, in the beginning, this triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created a world and created humanity in that world that had a perfect relationship with him. He ruled over them, but he didn't rule over them to be like passive receivers of his blessings. He was a creative, adventurous, exciting God who, who was powerful and is true and is generous and was joyful as a ruler. And he called us to live as and rule with him under his leadership. And, and, and he makes a commentary in, in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 1, he says, it is very good. It was a very good life, very good existence of us created under God to live for him and to reflect who he is all around us. And um, God is the loving ruler of this world. He made the world. He made us as rulers of the world under him. This is how the story began. But you know, as you look around you and even as you look at you in a mirror, you'll realize this isn't how the story is right now. There's a brokenness to this story. This is, this doesn't explain when I look around and I see the hurt and the pain and the sorrow and the tragedies of life. What happened? What happened from that original entry point into the story that God created? It's something that Paul says, even as he looked around in his lifetime in Romans three, he said this. He said, there's no one righteous. Not even one. There's no one who understands. No one who seeks God. This is what's happened to change everything. Because in that perfect environment, God said, you have a choice. You can love me or you can turn from me. And that's what true love is. True love is a choice. 
God didn't pre-program us to love us, love him. He, he gave us a choice. And in that garden, he, he put one tree on the midst of all of his other creations. Some people say, oh, God was so restrictive. No, no, no. God created everything. He gave lots of options. He just said, this is the only thing that will say that you choose me, that you choose me to worship me, to love me, and to walk with me today. That one option turned the heart. And male and female, Adam and Eve, man and wife, turned the other way, and they rejected God. And from that point, we started ruling. We became self-ruled. We thought we could do a better job of life without God than with him. And we rejected the ruler. We rejected the ruler. We started building our own little kingdoms with our own little agendas and our own little plans apart from God. And we tried to deface him and erase him from our lives. And we didn't want him controlling us. We didn't want him telling us what to do. We rejected him. And by trying to run life our own way without him, the reality is we failed to rule our lives. And we failed to rule our society. And we failed to rule our world well. Look around you. All you have to do is read the front, front newspapers and you'll see the world. Look in our own society here in Topeka and you'll see brokenness. And look in the mirror. And we see a brokenness within. Some of us can look better than others this morning, but we all deal with something I call the beast. It's something we don't want to be. Something about us that's eating our lunch that we can't explain. It's a reality. And it's a result of us just checking out of God, checking out of his story for us. You know, we can fail in these environments, but the biggest one we failed is God. We're still accountable to him. He's still the ruler. We still speak to him. We still, we still are accountable and responsible to him. That's because sin has its consequences. We don't like it when we have to deal with consequences, but the Bible says the consequences of sin is death and judgment from God. Hebrews 9.27 says, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. That's the picture that we get is because we rebelled against God, he will not allow us to rebel against him forever. There will be a time when he does judge sin because he is still the holy, righteous, true God. And we all have to, we all have to answer to him. As, you know, as I, as I look at that and I, as I see that we're dead in our sins before a holy God, most of the religious structures of the world look at that and go, well, what can we do about that? I understand that we mess up and that we fail. What can we do about it? So most of the religious uh, structures of the world de- define a path back to God where man can make decisions. We can be good enough that in some way God says, okay, we're back. We're back the way I created you. You're good enough to get in. Is, are you really good enough? I find that when I try that on my own system, I tend to compare myself with people. And there's a reality with a lot of things in my life that I could probably look at half the room and say, I'm better than half the people here. And it gives me some great contentment to do that. It gives me some, some confidence that I'm better than half the people in this room in some areas. There's other areas where the other half is a whole lot better than me. And I'm in the lower half. Is that half enough? What's enough? You see, the Bible, when it talks about our condition, it never compares you with someone else apart from God. 
And what we have to do when we realize that is when we're compared to God, it doesn't really matter how we're doing with the other half of the room. It matters how we are with him. And, and we're held accountable to him. We're not, I'm not held accountable to you. I'm held accountable to God on how I am in my sin. And as I, I look at that, there's a huge difference. There's a grand canyon of a difference. Some of us are better than others, but we're all fall short of who God is and who his glory is. And that is where the story could end with us just trying to be better, trying to impress whoever's up there, trying to be good enough. But you know what? The scripture says we'll never be good enough. Folks, you'll never be good enough. That's why the scriptures come and invade our lives with this continuing story of God that continues to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, 8, it says this, two words that changed everything in the story for us. But God, see, he saw us there, but God, he saw us dead in our sins, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were, while we were still sinners, guess what happened? Christ died for us. God didn't wait for us to return to him. God didn't wait for us to say, okay, I have self-led really bad and I'm going to come back to you now. It's a ding, 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 big day in my life. I realized that. No, in our sin, before we accepted him, God loved us. And he demonstrated that love by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life in full obedience to his father. He lived perfectly under the rule of his father on this earth. And he loved us by dying on the cross. We looked at that on Good Friday. We got together on Friday evening at two services and we kind of looked at what happened on the cross. Why do we need the cross? Why is the cross such a big part of this story? Why is it the pivotal thing in in history that changes everything for us? Because it was at the cross where God came down and he said, I will pay that price for you. I will die in your place because he was the one and only. We looked at a verse in 1 Peter. It says this, 1 Peter 3, 18 says, for Christ died for sins. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring us to God. See, that's the story. God wanted to bring you back. And he saw your sin. He saw your rejection. He saw your rebellion. And he endured with his love. And he came down in the person of Christ. And he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. And he was buried. And on Easter... He rose. He rose from the dead. He brought you back to God. And the apostles and the followers all got this. And he, he rose from the dead. And the scriptures say in 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He was the first one to conquer death. Folks, on the cross, Jesus Christ did three things perfectly, completely, and finally for us. He loved us perfectly. He forgave us completely. And he fully and finally overcomes sin and death in our lives. That is the story. We need Christ. He is our one and only chance. He is the hero who rescued humanity. And this is the heroic rescue of humanity, that this Jesus came, he died, he rose again, 
and he lives. And now he's ascended into heaven and he reigns over all right now. And he calls us into a relationship with him again to where he's over us and we're leading in this world. We're loving and we're forgiving and we're overcoming. Do you see what's happening? Look at what, how God created things. Look what happened and look what God continued to do through his love. The curse through Christ is reversed and we have a relationship again with God because of what Christ has done. Folks, this is the story. This is the story that the New Testament church took. They understood it and they grabbed it and they took it to the ends of the inhabited world in their time and they spread this story. This is the story that if you believe it, you're called to tell it. This is the story. Now, let me give you a a few facts about this story. Number one fact. You ready for it? The story is true. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a fable. It's not made up. It's true. You know, I read a book, a huge book. It's about this thick. And it just is about the resurrection. It's called The Resurrection of the Son of God by N.T. Wright. Fascinating book. One of the things it talks about in the time of Jesus, there was a whole bunch of people who said they were the Messiah. They were the son of God. They were the ruler. They were going to be the ones who ruled the world. The problem with these people, these so-called messiahs, guess what happened? They died. And when they died, guess what happened to their whole movement? It imploded. It imploded. Jesus is one who comes and calls himself the Messiah. Says he's the son of God. Does these miracles. Does these signs. He is Tried and crucified on the cross. He dies. What happens to his followers? They're wondering, who was he? What have I done? Oh no, he died. The one we were following died. He's no longer with us. And they scattered. They moved to despair. They had loads of questions. But guess what happened on Easter? He rose from the dead. Guess what happened to them? They believed. The apostle Paul writes to this in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a passage I want to show to you. Because it really says what this message is all about. Corinth was uh, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. And Corinth was a city that as they were given this story, they said, did Jesus really raise from the dead? Is, do people really go to heaven after they die? Is this something that's really true? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. He says this, for what I received... I passed on to you as first importance. In other words, I received this story. Now I'm passing this story on to you. He said that Christ died for sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And catch this, that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the others at the same time. Most of who are still living, though some have died, some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And at last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. What what Paul was saying is, this is a fact. This is a historical fact. This happened all within the lifetimes of the New Testament writers writing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were written hundreds of years later. They were written in the first century. So that anyone who doubted and made these claims, anyone who doubted these claims about a resurrected Christ could hop on a horse put on some sandals and walk and talk to people who saw Jesus resurrected, who ate with Jesus, who learned from Jesus, who, who, who were taught by Jesus, resurrected in the bodily form. Folks, if you're going to start a rumor, you're going to start a belief system that the rest, it's going to turn the world upside down. 
You got careful about this. If it's just you, if it's a bunk, if it's a lie, if it's a rumor, limit how many people know about this truth. But if it's true, then you have nothing to lose. The gospel, this story could have been debunked in just a few seconds after it was written. If Jesus, you could have produced a body and, and no one could have been an eyewitness about him. Folks, his body was resurrected and he appeared to over 500 people listed in this passage alone. He, this faith is not based on some guy stumbling in the woods to few angels who fill him in some information that only he should know and he should tell everybody else. That gets a whole bunch of followers and everybody becomes a wacko. No, this is something based on a historical truth of a resurrected savior, Jesus Christ. It's a true story. It's also a story about God and his love. John 3.16, one of the most popular passages in scripture. If you oftentimes just see this reference once the, the football goes through the goalposts. It's John 3.16 and it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, that one and only son is the one and only one who could love us perfectly, forgive us completely, and overcome through his death and resurrection the power of sin and death in our lives. But this is not just a story about God and his love out there. It's a story of us and our faith right now. Because he says, For whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the promise that we're called into. This story is an invitation that God invites you to re-enter this story, to become part of his kingdom again, a kingdom of love and truth and righteousness and mercy. So if this story is true, if this story is about God and his love, if this story is about you and me and our faith in him, then what happens? What happens in our lives? When we enter this story, then we, when we pull away from our own little kingdoms, our own little stories, our own little novels, and we start getting engaged into the story of God. There's one word that happened to everyone who believed the resurrected Christ in the New Testament. One word that stands out. One word that Jesus was passionately committed to in their lives. And here it is. They were fearless. They were fearless. They met the resurrected Christ and they did not shirk back in life. They did not shirk back in death and they did not shirk back with God. It bolstered them. They were fearless. And what I want to make is the same claim that was made to those who followed him when he first resurrected as we have a promise today is that those who believe have literally nothing to fear. Folks, through the risen, resurrected Christ, we have nothing to fear. Now, I want to be fearless. I hope you do too. But I'm not. I'm scared. I'm scared about a whole bunch of things. In his book, Fearless, Max Lucado points at the culprit of, of fear. Why do we fear? And he said, fear at its base, at its core, is the, is, the, is the perception that things are getting out of control, that we can't control them anymore. And so those areas that are running out or those areas that are threatened of us controlling them, 
we start to worry and we start to get scared. And it starts in in these little situations or these little relationships that, oh, I wonder if he's going to like me tomorrow. And if he doesn't show you that love, oh no, what's going to happen to our relationship? And it moves on. You never outgrow that. What are my kids going to do? And since you can't control your kids, what is my wife going to do? And since you can't control your wife, what is my job going to do? And since you can't control the economy or the job, we freak out. And you know what the result is? We start worshiping the God of safety. And you know what our church becomes? The risk-free life. We quit taking risks. We only stay safe. And folks, safe people don't love courageously, selflessly. People in fear, people in fear are totally distracted from what on earth, from this story that God is calling them into it. And so what I want to do is explore these three areas of being fearless that were evident in people who trusted that Jesus was indeed resurrected, that he was true. The story was about God and his love. The story was about them and their faith. Here it is. First area of fearlessness it has to do with your relationship with God. With Christ, faith in a resurrected Christ will result in a fearless life with God. We fear the things that are against us. And the story tells us that in our sin, God will judge us. But God loved us. And he sent his son. And to restore us, to pay for everything we owed him, to take our punishment, and then to resurrect and to give us life. Folks, that is good news. Some of us don't like that situation. We don't like to be uh, responsible to God. We don't like to be dead in our sin. So in order to, to get that out of our lives, when we check out of this story, we just go, let's nix God. Let's become atheists. Just not believe in him. I don't like this story. And we go and craft our own stories. But the reality is we still have to deal with our own brokenness, our own failures, our own mistakes, our own patterns for how we're forgiving or how we're not forgiving people who wrong us, how to address the beast within that rears its ugly head. We try to keep down. God initiated a plan of redemption to bring you back. First Peter 3, 8, as we went before, said Christ died for sins. He died for them once and for all. He totally annihilated sin in your life and the consequences in life. He was righteous. You're unrighteous. He did this to bring you back to God because God is a rescuer. He goes and seeks us where we are in the pit of our sin and he rescues us. He does and pays whatever cost it took to bring you back. Secondly, there is no condemnation. You are no longer in Christ judged by God because God already judged Jesus on the cross. In Romans 8, 1, it says, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, no condemnation, no more judgment. Number three, Romans five says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, God is for us through Christ. He's not against you. On Friday evening, a woman came up to me with tears in her eyes and she goes, Man, I've been coming to this church for, for years and I didn't get it. It finally clicked tonight after we talked about the cross and how much God loved her through the cross. She said, here it is. God loves me. Jesus 
loves me. And we started talking, and I started realizing the background she came from was more of a, a background of works, where, the, where the, the religious background she came from basically said, come to church and give in the offering and do all these things, and in some way you'll impress God enough to get in. You know what that breeds? It breeds a constant question in our minds of fear. Am I good enough? Will God accept me? Did I do good enough? Oh, I forgot to do. Oh, will God be against me? And you start tracing everything bad in your life connected to something you've done that's bad. And I would tell you that's exactly opposite of this story of God. And that's where we connect with God. Not on a relationship of works. Not on a religion of works. On a relationship of grace. You did nothing to earn or deserve this. This is given to you because God wants you back in his story. Fearlessness with God. I'm not talking about not worshiping, not having respect for I'm talking about fearing him. Is he going to get me today? What did I do to deserve this? God is no longer against you. Because he cleared everything that was in between you and him through Christ. Secondly, there's a fearlessness in death. Look at what Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Just as, as um, Adam died and Christ died, he rose again and paved the way for us to have eternity with God. He overcame Death. Folks, Easter is the death of death. And because of that, and because of that, we have life with God forever. This is huge hope. I deal with people all the time who, who suffer horrible news from a doctor, who, who suffer incredible news from a family member where death is inevitable. What is the Christian message? What is God's story in a time of death? Here it is. Jesus is alive. And through Jesus, you can too. You can be alive. Loss is huge and devastating. But our hope is the greatest hope of all. Death is not the end. Death is a new beginning with God forever. No pain, no sorrow, no despair. Eternal hope in the present the presence of an eternally exciting, not boring, creative, not dull, adventurous, not, not passive, and loving God. That is what eternity is through the work of Christ. Now, this hit me very personally this year. Um, someone we love in our family, my wife's father, was uh, diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis along with kidney failure. And the doctor says, you just, you just have a few days to live. And that news just got us right here. We're going, oh, no. It was just on Christmas where we spent great time with, with, um, with Grandpa and Dad. And, and now in February, he's on his deathbed. And uh, he was a guy who just loved his grandchildren, loved his family. We spent and did great, fun vacations together. We have memories in our mind that are just awesome experiences. But we had to come and get our minds around that right now Grandpa's going to be leaving us. Dad was going to be going. And um, he was a guy who loved those happy experiences and didn't want anyone seeing him in the hospital literally struggling for his next breath. So he didn't want us to come. He just wanted him re- us to remember. And we protested. I protested. I said, no, we're coming. We want to see you. 
and, and we need to do this. And so he acquiesced and, and allowed us to come. So one Sunday after I preached a message, we all hopped into our minivan, drove to Hot Springs, Arkansas, got there late at night and walked in and it was just good to see him. He was a portion of himself as death was just about to take him. And, and we looked at videos on our computer. We showed him pictures of our dog we loved and, and we just reminisced a little bit, had a great time. It was overwhelming, just this moment of what's happening. And we, we stayed overnight in a hotel, woke up the next morning, and, and then we went in. And I knew that would be the time we would say goodbye. And I took my three boys aside, and they were all just overwhelmed by this. And I said, guys, you're going to say goodbye to Grandpa now. But you're just going to say goodbye for now. Not forever. It's just for now. This is a big moment, but it's just for now. So I want you to say goodbye. And we went in there and we prayed around him and, and we each said our goodbyes with tears. And it was a difficult moment. But can I, I ask you one question? How could I say that to my kids? What audacity would I have to tell my kids, this is just goodbye for now? Here it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's because he lives. And because I knew J.R. understood he was a sinner. I knew J.R. Smith understood that Jesus is the only one who could save him. I knew that J.R. put his faith and trust in the only one who could save him, Jesus Christ. And he believed that he had life only through Christ. I knew that about him. So I could say that. Because that was true. That's our reality. The only way we have that is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It makes us Fearless in death. Let me ask you this. If that was your diagnosis right now, could you have that confidence? Could you be fearless at death? The Easter message is an invitation to receive the work of God on your behalf. Completely love you. Finally, pay the price of sin and overcome the power of sin and death in your life. It's fearlessness with God. It's fearlessness in death. And it's also fearlessness in life. Paul writes this, Philippians 1.21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Did you see they got the end of the picture? When they die, when we die through Christ, it's all gain. We have nothing to lose. So therefore live for Christ. Come back next week as we're going to be going through the book of Philippians and really looking at how do we engage God in this story and live Christ, not ourselves anymore. How do we reflect him? That's the picture that through Christ, folks, we can live. Your life now can be redefined and you can be fearless in life. The New Testament church understood that they, they would not be absent of suffering and pain. Matter of fact, they embraced suffering and persecution because this story was true in their lives. They advanced this message and unlike anything a television preacher is going to give you where they try to sell health, wealth, and prosperity through this story, it's not going to happen. We're not guaranteed that, folks. That's a lie. We're called into a life with God. And the New Testament church sometimes ran for their lives, but they were completely confident and fearless that they were They were um, perfectly loved by their God. 
completely forgiven, and finally overcoming. They didn't give up their dreams. I realize that so many people in life, they have dreams. And whatever dream you have, whether it's with a person or within a career or in the right position or with your family, whatever your dream is, when that doesn't come true to your planning, you fear. They had bigger, they had bigger areas of dreaming. This story is a much greater story than what kind of car I have or how many friends I have on Facebook or what my checkbook looks like or what my 401 or now 201K plan looks like. This was about things that last forever. God, his word, and people. And they took that. They were so confident in life with that that they were willing to go wherever to whoever with this story and tell the story of a risen, resurrected Christ who they believed in, who is helping them overcome sin in their lives. Folks, Christians are not perfect. You're not coming into a perfect club when you walk into this church. We are broken. And in, in many cases, if we're honest with ourselves, we're broken and we understand our brokenness probably better than most people in this world. And it's not that we're perfect, but we are following someone who is perfect, who is our only hope to overcome ourselves is through the power of God in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We realize that with Christ, in Christ, we're never alone. We're together. And we are a family who's once we, we caught this story, we buy into this story, and we live this story as a community of followers of Jesus Christ. This is a story. And this is an invitation. Jesus gave an invitation with a choice and a promise. And it's in John 3, 36. It says this. He says, Whosoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. Do you see the choice here? Whoever believes has life. Whoever rejects has God's wrath. There's really two ways we can live. We can live as the author of our own story where we're ruling our own lives and we're following our own self-led, self-guided world. Or we can submit to the leadership of God And trust in the only one who can save us and live for him. That's the story. That's the story. And that's the choice and the promises. Life or death. Pardoning or wrath. We're given that choice. God, just like in the garden, will not pull you kicking and screaming to him. He will not make this an obligation. It is a choice. But it is a choice that everything has been freed up for you to make in a positive direction. And you rejoin God into his story of all the ages for everyone. You can choose to be a person of your own making. And you can do that. But I will tell you, you will deal with three things. And you consistently take these to your graves. Here it is. You will deal with your picture of love and your pattern for love. You will not love perfectly. You'll love selfishly. You will love to get things or to get people to love you back. You will not love sacrificially without wanting anything in return. Jesus is the only one who loves us completely, perfectly. Secondly, you will deal with forgiveness because only Jesus teaches me how to forgive completely without exacting a cost. 
Our world loves to hold grudges. And when you hurt me financially, I want you to pay me back. But when you hurt me personally, it's always a larger cost than you think. And you'll never be able to pay for it. So my life tends to move towards revenge and getting even, hurting you for hurting me. And you will struggle with that without Christ. And then you will struggle with overcoming. You don't think yourself well in this world. You cannot. You are beyond healing yourself. You cannot make yourself clean. Only the power of God through Jesus Christ can. And I'm not saying that arrogantly. I'm just telling you that I've chosen to put my life under the reign of Christ, where his work is for me in my life. And I, from time to time, will wander from that reign over my life. And those three areas are targets for me. I no longer love my wife the way God loves her. I no longer forgive my children or my neighbor or my workmates the way Jesus has forgiven me. And I am totally overwhelmed when it comes to the beast within. We need Jesus, folks. He's our only hope. And he's our invitation back into the story where we are perfectly loved. And then we can love others, modeling that love, where we're completely forgiven. And we're forgiving from the only one who completely forgives us, where we're overcoming sin and the power of death in our lives through the only one who will finally defeat death in our own. Folks, engage this story. This is the story. And it's been made possible by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Engage this story. Can you tell we're kind of passionate about this? Because we want everyone to know this story. And we don't want everyone to see it from a distance. We want you to see it's farther than a religion. It's a relationship. And God has personally secured this story for you. This can be your story now. All you have to do is say, I see it. I see it. I know what I I am, what I've done. I know what Christ has done for me. And I trust in his work alone. And I put myself under him. He's going to be my leader right now. I trust him because he's the only one who can help me in life. He's the only one who can save me from death. He's the only one who completely and perfectly loved me. And I accept that. I want that story. If that's you today, if this makes sense to you, get out of your life, put down your own little book and open up the chapter that begins with many greater chapters than you've ever written into the book and the story that God is calling you into through Christ. Trust him right now. We're going to pray and then we're going to sing. And if this is the first time you've engaged this story or if this is the first time you're re-engaging this story, let me just encourage you to make some expression to the Lord in your heart. It doesn't have to be vocal. Just say, God, I want that story. I want your story to be mine now. I trust you. I believe you. I'm going to follow you. I want that story. And you know what will happen? God will change your heart. And he will build a fearlessness in you with him, with death, and in life. And you will again reflect the God who created you. And you will join the huge, historic rescue of humanity. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I thank you just for each person you brought here today to hear this story. They are not here by accident. Someone invited them. They came here. They heard your story. And we get it. So we either have an opportunity to reject it or accept it. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your word has communicated, that I've communicated clear enough, and your, your Holy Spirit is working in the lives of people, that they want to be a part of your, your story. I pray that everyone in this room would accept you. The only one who could perfectly love them, completely forgive them, and finally defeat death and the power of sin. Heavenly Father, work in our hearts. We want you. We want this story. We want to be storytellers of this story. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for accepting us into your family through the person and the work of the living the crucified, the resurrected Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.